Can I start by asking you a question? Why did you come today? I realize as I say that, it probably sounds a tad more aggressive than I intended it to. Sorry. I don't mean in the sense of like, what are you doing here? That's not what I mean. I'm not like thinking to myself, I know what you were up to Friday night. I know what you were doing. How have you not burst into flames yet? Just walking in the doors of a church. No, that's not at all what I mean. What I do mean though, and I'm genuinely curious is why did you come today? Like what motivated you to set the alarm to roll out of bed, to drag the kids from under the covers, to fight with them about getting dressed, to drive to Balzac, to search for a parking spot in the mall, and then to walk in the doors of a church. I'm genuinely curious what it is that brings you out either today or week in and week out. If you want to catch me after the service and tell me why you come, I'd love to hear. That's always a fun thing for me to learn a little bit about. People often do that. They catch me in the lobby and they say, hey, Dan, I want to tell you what I appreciate about what's going on here. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, a guy stopped me out front and uh, we were talking and he said, you know, I want you to know, like, I don't really care so much for the Bible talk time that you do. That's just not really my thing. But the coffee's good, and the music's pretty decent, too. So, and I was like, all right, ouch. I appreciate your honesty. Thank you for that. I I genuinely, I was glad. I don't care why he comes. I'm just glad he's here, right? Then uh, I've also had people that say, you know, Dan, that, that singing stuff, that's really not my thing. I come for the messages. I like the sermons. So there you go, Amber. Take that, all right? Boom, roasted. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, we all come for various reasons. We've all got, like, our rationale, the thing that's motivating us to get out of bed and to show up on Sunday morning. Maybe for you, it's because a coworker has been bugging you to go to church. Like, they're constantly like, hey, what are you doing this Sunday? You free? You want to come to my church? And you're like, leave me alone. I don't want to go to your church. But they've stayed on you for so long that today you said, I'm going to show up. So finally, they'll let me be. I can tell them, I came once. It wasn't for me, good for you, and you let that be. Maybe that's the reason why you're here today. Nothing wrong with that. I'm glad you're here, and I hope you feel very welcome and at home with us. Maybe you come out of a sense of duty, like you've been in church for a long time, and you're like, yeah, I just feel like as a Christian, I know I'm supposed to be at church, and so even when I don't feel like it, I still come because I know it's the right thing to do. Maybe it's a sense of duty for you. Perhaps you come Um, You know, because you get something out of it. You really enjoy the services, whether it's the music or the teaching or, you know, the fellowship out front or whatever the case may be. You, You, like, come because you experience something on Sunday mornings that you're not finding anywhere else in your life. Maybe you came this morning because of that cute somebody that's sitting in a different part of the auditorium right now. You know what I mean? Don't look. I just saw some of you guys. You, like, shot a sideways glance. Play it cool, man. You're going to give yourself away. Just play it cool, geez. But maybe that's why you can't. I don't even care. I'm just glad you're here. It doesn't even matter to me. Whatever it was that motivated you to walk through the door this morning, I'm so glad that you came because we all have our reasons for coming. And you know what? Some of our reasons are good and healthy, and sometimes our reasons are less so. But in the end, I don't think it matters. I think as long as we're taking a step in, God honors that. He recognizes it and he rewards it. Regardless of what your reasons might be, I've noticed that every single person on the planet tends to fall on a spectrum of how or why they approach faith. 
the reason and motivation for either accepting faith and becoming a follower of Jesus or a religious person or whatever you want to say, or the, the reason that they choose not to do that. We're all on this exact same spectrum. And I'm going to tell you what the spectrum is, and I wonder where you fall on this line. What's your motivation? Not in particular, but kind of in general. So here we go. I'm going to put it on the screen. And I, again, I just wonder where it is that you fall here. For some people, faith is all about the mind. And for other people, faith is all about the heart. So for good or for bad, every person on the planet, we tend to approach faith either through the lens of intellect and rationality and thought in the mind, or we tend to approach faith through the lens of emotion and experience and relationships, and none of that is bad. In fact, I'll say this is true whether you are a true believer or you're a skeptic this morning. You are approaching faith either through a, a mind lens or a heart lens, a thought and rational intellectual approach, or you're coming at it through an emotional approach. This is true whether you are young or old, right? Young people approach it both ways. Old people approach it both ways. I'm not calling any of you old. I should have phrased that differently. Older people approach it in many different ways. I mean, we, no matter where we're at in life stage, we tend to either look at things through the mind or through the heart. This is true of men and women. Men and women fall somewhere on the spectrum, and it's not like all the women are down here and all the men are over here. That's not how it works either. Every single person on the planet, they approach faith for good and for bad, either through the mind or through the heart. That's just how it works. Now, in the first service, I asked people to raise their hand. And I said, are you a thought and mind person or are you one of the emotional people? And basically nobody raised their hand. So it was a big pastoral fail. I'm not gonna do that in this service because I don't wanna embarrass myself. But what I think is there are some of you guys who may not know where you fall on this spectrum. And you're like, Dan, you're asking me to tell you like what my motivation is for faith? I don't even know what I think about faith. I don't even know what I'm doing here this morning. So I can't give you an answer. Maybe I can help you to understand Understand and maybe um, glean a little bit about yourself, about why you approach things the way you do and why you may have accepted or rejected faith in your life. So I'm going to put a chart on the screen. It's basically four quadrants, and uh, we're going to walk through this a little bit, and I wonder if you could see yourself in any of these particular categories or characteristics, okay? See, for some people, as I mentioned, faith is primarily about the mind. They approach a relationship with God for good or for bad through their thoughts, their arguments, their rationality, all right? The reason that people believe if they're in this category or the reason they don't believe is up here. Everything kind of lives in the mind, okay? So if you're a believer and you, you've come to faith in Jesus primarily through your mind, then these are the type of Christians who focus on believing the right things. You know what I mean? It's all about like, oh, you believe the right things about the Bible or Jesus or the church or whatever it might be. They get really hung up on doctrine. Anybody met a Christian like that? It's all about, and some of you guys are excited to like, yeah, doctrine. We get hung up on arguments. 
We come to faith because we feel like we've solved some sort of puzzle and all the pieces have seemed to line up pretty well. And if you're a believer and you come at it from a mind perspective, you look at all the other people in the world and you're like, how has this not clicked for you? Are you just not as smart as me? I don't get it. I see how all these things come together. I don't know what's holding you up. These are people that have Bible verses memorized. I joke all the time that like people will ask me, they think because I'm a pastor, I've got the whole Bible memorized. And so they're like, Dan, I'm sure you know what the Bible says in Matthew chapter number 11, verse 26. And I'm like, not really. I don't have the whole thing memorized, you guys. But for people who come to faith primarily through their mind or through their intellect, these are the things that matter. And so these are the things they're going to talk about. These are the things they're going to celebrate. These are the things they're going to try to promote to other people. Now, on the flip side of that coin, there are people who are non-believers. They might call themselves atheists. They might call themselves agnostics or skeptics. And they have rejected faith or belief in God or even affiliation with the church. And the reason that they've rejected it is because of the arguments that they have in their head. So these sorts of people have lots of unanswered questions. Okay? They're the ones who say, okay, Dan, well, if God is so good, then how come is there so much evil in the world? Hmm? Give me an answer. Hmm? And they wait. They're the ones who say, you know what? I was checking out this website one time, and they pointed out that this part of the Bible contradicts that part of the Bible. What do you say about that, pastor? Hmm? They're the ones who are constantly trying to debate. They're trying to figure it out. And when they take the same puzzle pieces and try to fit them, they don't fit. And so they push faith away. These are people that are often quite skeptical. They're just skeptical about life. And again, that's not a bad thing. Very scientifically oriented. Their, their belief in a, or their trust in a particular belief standpoint is commensurate with the amount of evidence behind that. So they're like, if you can't prove it, I won't believe it sort of thing. And in general, these people are focused on truth and progress. That's one of their big hangups with religion. They're like, this is an old school. This is an old way of thinking. And if we all become religious, you know what? We're going to give up on science. We're going to give up on technology. We're going to give up on progress, which is not true, but that's the concern. That's the fear that they have. So some people approach their faith primarily through their mind. It is a mental exercise, and they're constantly trying to argue their way closer to God or further away from God. I'll tell you, this is how I operate. I just think things through. I'm constantly trying to figure it out. Uh, you know, like I'm just one of those processors. On the other hand, there are some people and they approach faith not with their mind. They approach faith, for better or worse, with their heart. And so whereas the, the mind people, everything is all up here, for the emotion people, everything is down here. It resides in the heart. And their rationale, their motivation, the lens through which they approach and either accept or reject faith is all about feeling and relationship and experience. So these are the people, if they're believers, if they're Christians, and all they ever want to do is talk about joy and talk about grace. They don't want any boundaries for anybody. You know, they're just kind of like, oh, it's okay. It's not a big deal. Let's just celebrate that we're all forgiven and not worry about that, okay? They really love the positivity that a relationship with God can and should bring. These are also people that are relationally wired, right? They're the ones who are constantly connecting, and part of the reason they come to church is because it's a family, and they get to develop deeper friendships than they could ever have at work or in their neighborhood or anything like that. And also, these are people that oftentimes emphasize feelings and experience. And I noticed in the first service, you guys, 
I misspelled the word experience on the slide. I just got through telling you I'm an intellectual person. I process everything through my mind. And then I make a dumb mistake like that. I mean, it hurts. Now, those of you guys who are emotional in nature, you're like, what did you misspell? I don't even see it up there. So believers who process through the heart, these are the sorts of things that go through. Please forgive my spelling mistake. I'm quite embarrassed about this, okay? So anyway, this is the way that they process. This is what motivates them. This is the way they think and experience, not just faith, but the world at large, but this is how it plays out in their faith. Now, for people who are non-believers, for whatever reason, they've rejected church. Um, If it's an emotionally driven thing, you know what they've done? They hate hypocrisy. They hate hypocrisy. They just can't stand it when somebody says, oh, I am this, or I believe in this. And then behind the scenes, they're something totally different. They're fake. They're phony. They're fraud. And people who've rejected faith based on emotions often say, nah, I don't get a good vibe from you, man. Something's going on beneath the surface. That guy's having an affair or something secret's going on. I just don't trust him, right? That's the way people tend to operate. And look, Hating hypocrisy is a good thing. And I'll be the very first person in this auditorium to tell you straight up that on some level, hypocrisy exists in every person on the planet, including yours truly, okay? If you stick around and connect long enough, you're gonna find out that there is some hypocrisy around here. Like we try our best, but sometimes we get it wrong. We say we love people and then sometimes, you know, we're rude. We don't mean to be, but it just comes out naturally. And so the fact that you have really pushed against hypocrisy is not a bad thing. And it doesn't mean that you can't belong or you shouldn't be a part of a church like this because as long as we can acknowledge where we're failing to live up to the standards that God wants us to, then that's okay. I think that's a healthy approach to dealing with the hypocrisy that's really in all of our hearts, okay? Some of you guys, though, people who are non-believers and they process through their heart, they've approached faith because of their emotions and things, sometimes it really comes down to past wounds, comes down to experiences. I mean, there are those of you that are sitting in the auditorium today and you are bleeding still from your last church experience. They stabbed you in the back. They cut you down with their words. You didn't measure up. And you've never even been able to bandage the wound, much less move on from it. Some of you guys, you've had enough time and distance and maybe healing, and so you're not bleeding outright anymore. But you know what? All those past wounds have formed scars. That scar tissue is hard and it's dead. And you just kind of said, well, I'm not going to fall for that again. I won't let them get that close so they could hurt me on that level. And some people have rejected faith not because of what they see in the Bible, just because of what they've seen in the church. That's primarily an emotional response, not a bad response. It could be justified in your case, but I don't think it has to be. And then we would say these people are guarded and cautious. You know, you're kind of like, I'm going to stick around for a while and I'm just going to watch. I'm just going to observe. They're often the people that sit in the corner in the back and they're like, don't talk to me. I just want to see. I just don't force me into anything. I just want to see. These are the people that finally show up to Next Steps 19 months after they first came to church, you know? And they're like, I just wanted to hear a few sermons. I just wanted to see if you were really who you say you are as a whole, as a congregation. Okay, so we've got people who process for good and for bad their faith or their approach to God through their mind. And then we have people who approach it through their heart. Everybody falls on this spectrum to some degree or another. I wonder, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. You don't have to tell your neighbor. But hearing this and seeing it, can you see which of these quadrants you fall into? I know where I fall. I'm self-aware enough that I can say, oh yeah, I'm right here. Maybe you are as well. But can I tell you, 
there is a problem with this approach to faith. Regardless, whether you're a true believer or you're a skeptic, whether you're approaching through your mind or you're approaching through your heart, there's a problem with both of those lenses through which we look at a relationship with God. And the first part of it is, it's very abstract, right? So how do you qualify a feeling, right? My, my faith is based on a feeling. I go to church and something good happens in my heart and I feel warm and fuzzy or, you know, I make a couple of friendships. But I mean, how do you really quantify that? And then what happens if you go to church and the feeling doesn't happen on any Sunday? Maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't know what's going on, man, but it just feels different than it has in the past. It's missing something. I don't know if I'm going to come back next week. I just don't know. Because you're primarily approaching your faith based on feelings, emotion, experience. Okay? Um, if it's mind, it, how do you quantify? Like, how do you know if you've answered all the questions? How do you know if you fit all the pieces together just right? And what happens when somebody comes along with another question that you've never even considered? What are you going to do then? If it's primarily about your mind, your intellect, figuring it all out, your belief system could very well crumble. And so what I think is we need a faith that is grounded on something more concrete than simply our intellect or our emotions. We need a faith that is anchored not in our friendships, not in the quality of the Sunday experience. We need a faith that is anchored in Jesus. Anchored to you, Lord. Anchored to you alone. Because as a Christian, faith is not primarily about our intellect or our emotion. Faith is all about Jesus. My friends, this is the reason that we started this church. It's not so that we could hype you up and you're like, oh my gosh, Sundays are amazing. And it's not so that I could convince you, the, you know, I'm trying to prove the Bible. That's just not what we're about. Instead, what I want to do is I want to point you to Jesus. He is the one that is deep enough, stable enough, loving enough, real enough to base your entire life around. Listen, don't reorient your life around Connect Church because we're going to let you down at some point. We're going to have a bad service. I'm going to say something you don't like. Don't reorganize your life around me. Don't reorganize your life around some of the relationships you're building. Those are good. That's fine. Don't reorganize your life around arguments and apologetics and all that stuff. Reorganize your life so that Jesus is the center and every part of you revolves around him. So that when, you know, I mean, look, let's just be honest, our mind gets confused sometimes. And if you come up to a question and you're like, I don't know the answer to that, your faith won't crumble. I'll tell you, following Jesus is full of unanswerable questions, not just unanswered questions, unanswerable questions. So if you don't know that going in, and if your, your faith, your relationship with God is based on your mind and figuring it all out, eventually you will set yourself up to crumble. And if it's based on experience, eventually either we're going to let you down or you're going to find somebody else that offers a better experience and you're going to go chase that. So we have to base our faith in something much more sturdy, something much more real, and that is Jesus. I'm a Christian not because somebody convinced me intellectually. And I'm a Christian not because somebody gave me an awesome experience. Both of those things happen, but you know what? That isn't the reason that I'm a Christian. I am a Christian because of Jesus Christ. Yes. 
I wasn't convinced by arguments. I wasn't convinced by emotions. My faith is rooted in a God who became flesh. He did things that changed the world. He said things that changed me. His existence and his ministry, they are true whether we accept them or not. And his power and his love are available to us even when we don't feel it. So guys, I'm not saying that like intellect and emotions are not important and you shouldn't bother with any of those things. They are important, but they are not important above all else. Jesus is important above all else. He's the anchor to our faith. He's the one that we have built our relationship with God on. And so that means when I approach the Bible, when I approach the church, when I approach you guys, when I approach whatever, I'm not approaching it through a mental lens. I'm not approaching it through a heart lens. I'm approaching it through the lens of Christ. Okay? Our faith, here's your bottom line for today. Our faith has to be anchored in him and not in us or them. Whoever them is, it could be your friends here at church or it could be those those heathen non-believers. I'm never going to be like them. It could be any I don't care who the them is that you want to throw out there. Your faith cannot be grounded and centered in you or them, the only kind of faith that is going to see you through life is one that is anchored in Jesus. Okay, this is where it gets good. Because the last week of Jesus' life, he knows his time is coming to an end. He's just got a few hours left with his 12 apostles. And he decides that he's going to give them a ceremony. And this ceremony is going to allow them to remember him and the sacrifice that he's about to make. And it is going to help them commune or connect with the invisible God who created everything. Okay, This is going to be a powerful ceremony. In fact, Jesus said this is something the church is going to do forever and ever until he comes back. Okay, This matters. And here's the deal. When he was lining out this ceremony and deciding what he wanted those of us who are his followers to do, he did not give us a creed to memorize. He didn't say, here are all the right beliefs, boys and girls, that you need to make sure you understand. He didn't give us a song to sing. Jesus didn't like sit in the upper room and he's writing power chords and all this stuff. You know what I mean? Now, if Jesus wrote a worship song, I bet it'd be a pretty dang good one, but he didn't do that. He didn't give us a song to sing. Jesus didn't even, in the, in the Last Supper, at this time, the final moments with his disciples, he didn't even give them a prayer to pray. In his final moments, he gave us a meal to eat. This is so important. When God wanted you to have a communion, an experience, a relationship with him, He didn't go through your mind. He didn't go through your heart. He went through your stomach. (laughs) Some of you guys are like, now that's a religion I can get behind. I, I like that. But why? Why in the world would he give us a meal to eat? It's because the the elements of the meal, the bread and the juice that Jesus is gonna have his disciples eat, they're so much more tangible than an argument or a feeling. They're real. You can touch them. You can smell them. You can taste them. This is something that you experience and it anchors you into a relationship with God. 
Can I show you what Jesus said as he instituted this meal? The words that he spoke to his disciples, and he said, I want you guys to continue to do this so that in 2019, Connect Church in Calgary, Alberta, you guys would be doing it as well. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter number 22, verse number 7, Now the festival of the unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. And we'll stop right there for just a moment. If you're like, what the what? What are they even talking about? These are, these are several ancient Jewish holidays that happened right around the time that we now call Easter, okay? So Jesus sent the apostles Peter and John ahead, and he said, go prepare the Passover meal so that we can eat it together. If you jump down into verse number 14, Jesus, uh, the Bible tells us rather when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. And Jesus told them, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. In verse 19, the Bible tells us he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took a cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant, the new agreement between God and his people. This agreement is confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. When God wanted to get our attention, when he wanted to give us a ceremony to participate in, he gave us something to eat. Now, this this meal that Christians have been taking together for thousands of years, the meaning of the meal points to the crucifixion, the sacrifice of Jesus. And I don't want you to miss his words here in Luke 22. He says a couple of really important things. Jesus says his body is broken and his blood is poured out for who? We just read it. It's not a trick question. His body is broken and his blood is poured out for who? For you, for me, not you. No, for all of us. For every single one of us. This is because we needed somebody to step in for us. The, the Bible teaches, and, and I've found this to be true in my own life, we are all broken and flawed people, okay? We hate hypocrisy. We don't like it when people pretend to be something they're not. Can we just be real honest for a moment and say, you know what? If there is a God somewhere up there in heaven and he has some rules, I've probably broken them at some point. Can we all agree on that? None of us are perfect. Now, here's the thing. Every single religion on the planet, every single non-religion, okay? They will all tell you the same thing. We've all screwed up, and the way that things are gonna be made right is we're gonna do good to counteract our bad, right? So you do good karma, you follow these rules, you give to the, you do all these things, and hopefully by the time you die, the cosmic scales have been balanced, and you will have done more good than your bad. That's the way every single belief system in the world approaches our sin debt, our problem except for Christianity. Christianity is unique in what it teaches because it says unflinchingly and without any equivocation 
that the sin debt that you and I have incurred, the wrong that we've done is so great, both individually and as humanity. It is so good that no matter how, or so big rather, no matter how hard we tried, we would never be able to make up for it. You could try for the rest of your life being a good person and it wouldn't be enough to set the scales right. But God loves us so much that he said, I'll intervene. When our sin debt, when the wrong that we had done, it was so great, so large, so huge that we couldn't do anything about it. God didn't look down at us and say, too bad suckers, that's your fault, deal with it. He said, you're my children and I'll take care of that for you. He stepped in, he paid the price for all of our wrongdoing, our wrongdoing to one another, our wrongdoing to ourselves, and our wrongdoing to even Almighty God. He said, I'll take care of this for you. What did Jesus say? My body is broken and my blood is poured out for you. I think the other side of that, the reason he uses those words, it kind of leads us to what the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter number eight, that God is for you. He's not against you. He doesn't hate you. He hasn't written you off. You are not hopeless. God is for you. In fact, he is so for you, he would do anything he needed to for you. Then Jesus goes on and he says another very important thing. He says, when you eat this meal together, you're doing it in remembrance of what? Me. Why do you take the Lord's Supper? Why do you eat this little stale cracker and this tiny shot of juice? Why do you do these things? It's not because you have it all figured out. You've put all the pieces together and you've answered all the questions. It's not because of that. The Bible says we are saved by our faith, not our certainty. And it's not because you had an amazing experience because that's not gonna be enough to sustain you long-term. He says, I want you to eat this meal, not because I command it, not because your friends are doing it, not because you're hungry. I want you to do this. Take this meal in remembrance of me. So today, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to partake in the Lord's Supper. But before we get there, I know that God is speaking to some of you. You have been putting off uh, coming to God or starting a relationship with him, either because of the intellectual arguments that you cannot quite solve in your head or because of the emotional experiences that you've had in your past. And I just want you to know that you can come to Jesus with all of your doubts and your questions. It's okay. Nobody has it all figured out. You can come to Jesus with all of your hurts and wounds and bleedings and scars because he says his body was broken and his blood was poured out so that you could be made whole. So before we take this Lord's Supper, this communion, this Eucharist, I wanna give you the opportunity to respond to this God who is for you, not against you, who wants you to anchor your life around him. So I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Like literally everybody, you can nap for a couple minutes if this part doesn't interest you, that's okay. But for those of you guys that say, this is my time, God has been speaking to me. I know this invitation is for me. 
then I'm gonna lead you in a short prayer. You can say these in your heart or you can say them out loud. It doesn't matter. God's powerful enough to hear you anyway. Maybe you say this, Jesus, I need forgiveness and a fresh start. I'm coming to you today for both. My friends, if you've prayed that prayer for the first time, you've begun a relationship with God and it is the beginning of a lifelong journey in which intellect is important, sure, and emotions are nice and experience is good, but you are anchored in something more secure. You are anchored in the Savior who loved you so much that he gave himself for you. We're going to take communion together. Our ushers are going to be passing the elements out to you. And uh, I'm going to give you a few instructions before we do, or as they're doing that, okay? Um, Number one, when you get it, will you just hold on to it for a moment? Just hold it in your hand. We're going to all take together. And um, these this might look a little bit different maybe than a church that you grew up in in the past. We joke at Connect that we do the Lunchable version of communion because it's like a little prepackaged thing and you're gonna peel some cellophane and you're gonna get access to the elements. And we don't mean for that to be sacrilegious. Like it's just the most convenient way to make sure you all get to participate in the time that we have. You'll notice here in the little cup and juice when it gets to you, that there are two layers that you can peel off on the top. One is a very thin little piece of plastic and the other is a thicker piece of foil. And so once you get the elements, I'm gonna invite you to just peel the top layer off, just the really thin one, and um, you'll get access to the uh, little bread circle there. And I want you to just take it and hold it for a moment. We're gonna make sure everybody gets theirs. And I'm going to read you again the words of Christ. And we'll all take this together. And I'll tell you, if you're on the outside looking in and you're like, I don't know if I'm ready for this, man. It's okay. You don't have to participate. Just set your little juice cup in the cup holder. It's fine. We'll pick it up later. Nobody's going to judge you for not participating or for participating. This is your opportunity to commune with God if you're ready for that step. So peel back that top layer. You're going to get access to the bread. And I want to read you, remind you, let you hear again, maybe anew and fresh, the words of Christ. And I want you to allow the bread, the crunch, the taste, the weight, the weirdness even of the moment. I want you to allow that to overcome the intellectual issues you brought in today. And I want you to allow them to overcome the emotional or relational issues that you brought in today because it really does have the power to make that happen. Let me read for you again what Jesus said. Luke chapter number 22, verse 19. The Bible tells us that Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice today, for offering your body on my behalf. And then he broke it into pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Connect Church, I invite you to do this in remembrance of Christ. If you'll peel back the second layer, you'll get access to the juice. It's juice today, not wine. Sorry to disappoint you. 
And the Bible tells us that after supper, Jesus took a cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. It is an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Jesus, we thank you so much for offering your blood on our behalf, for paying the penalty for our wrongdoing, for restoring us to God, for giving us hope and life overflowing. You deserve all the glory and praise in our life. Connect Church, I invite you to do this in remembrance of Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for being big enough to overcome my doubts. Thank you for being big enough to overcome my bad experiences with religion and church. God, thank you for being something solid to which I can anchor my life. Thank you for paying the price for me. Thank you for making me a new creation in you, giving me this family that I can do life with and giving me a new purpose that isn't about me, but it's about something much bigger, something much more beautiful. We praise you as our savior and we thank you in Christ's name.